podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fast Twitch, the new energy drink from Gatorade, is here. And it's powering fast starts for athletes in every arena, like NBA All-Star Zion Williamson, WNBA champ Kalia Copper, and MLB superstar Francisco Lindor. With 200 milligrams of caffeine, electrolytes, and zero sugar, Fast Twitch is the new go-to for on-the-go energy anytime you need to turn up the intensity. Available in six refreshing Gatorade-inspired flavors, grab Fast Twitch in the energy drink aisle at a store near you. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What if you could make fresh, delicious meals at home without the stress of planning, prepping, or cleaning up? Introducing Tavala. Tavala is a first-of-its-kind meal service that makes eating well effortless. By combining a countertop smart oven with delivered meals, just scan a QR code to cook dinner. First, choose from a variety of chef-crafted meals delivered weekly to your door. When you're ready to eat, just do one minute of easy prep. Next, scan your meal's QR code with the Tavala Smart Oven, while the oven automatically switches between modes and temperatures for the perfect cook. Just sit back and relax. Your food's ready in 25 minutes or less. No shopping, no chopping, no cleanup. Simplify mealtime today with Tavala. Go to Tavala.com now to save $150 on a Tavala Smart Oven when you agree to order meals six times. That's T-O-V-A-L-A.com. Promo applied automatically at checkout. Tavala. Eat well effortlessly. Tavala.com. Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I am joined by Kevin Graham. Kev, five year anniversary. I How know. does it feel? How does it feel? It was when I mentioned it the other day that it was close to Lee Griffith scoring the two goals against Rangers, uh, against Rangers, against uh, England. I, I was saying that must be close to round about the now. Right? Five years. Aye. Uh, uh, we've squeezed an awful lot into that five years, Paul. And two of the years were a pandemic year as well. Well, I two pandemic years, two lockdown years, eh? Yeah. Bizarre, really, really bizarre. And to see where we are now, eh, to where we actually started is unbelievable. And I, it's quite weird. I remember the first conversation me and you had. And I think we're going to actually go across one of the reasons that I got on board was basically because it just wasn't going to be a normal Celtic podcast. Because, as everybody knows, I'm more into the stories of football rather than the workings of football. Um, And this is what it was. It was a storytelling podcast. We were were going to get an interesting people in to talk, to tell us their Celtic story. And I'm quite glad that we've still got an element of that in the retrospective and also in the Scream of Celica as well, eh? But it's going to be good to look back over some of our fantastic guests over the last five years. Well, exactly. Now, we know how the system works, Kev. We know that we could put a sensationalised title onto a stream and stick it out and get people on to watch. But when we set up a Celtic State of Mind, that wasn't what our function was. It wasn't what our ambition was. We wanted to get under the floorboards of people that support Celtic, regardless of where you came um, from or what you did in life. And inevitably, we ended up speaking to a whole host of guests. We used to go out every single week. And what I've done today is I've spent this morning going through some of the uh, the earlier and not so earlier interviews that we did. And I'll tell you what, 
it was very enjoyable. It was very enjoyable to go through some of these uh, old archive interviews, and it's something we should probably do more often, Kev, because there's a lot of people, like you say, who probably discovered the Celtic State of Mind when we started doing the live bulletins, when we started doing it like it is just now, um, who probably haven't gone back and listened to interviews that we've done with Ronnie Dyla, John Barnes, Neil Lennon, Lou McCarry. Oh, man, there's so many interviews on the archive. We used to do them every single week, not all visual. Um, although we now do the visual interviews and have done so with the likes of Willie McStay, Paul Lambert, Alan Thompson, Mike Galloway and more. And we'll continue to do that, as you said. The actual content beyond the, the live streaming uh, will continue. We're doing small video features, long uh, documentary style features, Kev. We're working on all that kind of stuff. As well as a retrospective when we look at uh, things like the old videotapes and your latest Schema Celica with Kevin Miles, uh, songwriter, um, will be this week. That will be happening this week as well. I've seen cool. the edit. So there we go. What I'm going to do is we are going to bring up some of the, um, the choice cuts, as it were. And... Uh, they are very interesting, as I say, and then we'll discuss the guests that we spoke to back in the day. Um, and again, this this kind of spans a five-year period, which I find really bizarre, half a decade of a Celtic state of mind. Um, and my eyesight is dreadful for anyone that knows me. Uh, you'll know that. Uh, so I will ensure, I hope, that uh, I pick up the correct... Screen. So here we go. This will be uh, the first one with Professor Willie Mealy. I don't know if you remember when we interviewed Professor Willie Mealy, um, who is an interesting character in any case. Some people may remember that he used to write for the Celtic View, um, but uh, his old fella fought Franco in the, uh, the Spanish Civil War, didn't he? And uh, host uh, different uh, topics, including Paulo De Canio as well uh, so let's go back I'm, I'm not even sure 2019 three years almost to hear what Professor Willie Milley said about the canio and fascism and the political mind of a vast majority of the Celtic support is uh, a player who was signed back in the, the time of Tommy Burns who have just been discussing Paolo De Canio now, Paolo Di Canio is a self-proclaimed fascist, um, and he's tattooed his body and he's he's made the the gestures on the on the field while he's playing for Lazio. Yeah. Uh, because of that, Nazi, <laughs> Nazi, because of that, he's for many Celtic fans airbrushed himself out of the history books. Yeah. Um, the strange dichotomy of Di Canio is he entertained, he played the way that Celtic fans yeah. love. He played with a passion that Celtic fans right. love. He had a fantastic relationship with Tommy Burns, uh, which is retained through the Burns family to this yeah. day. Yet, uh, Celtic fans don't want him in any way, shape or form to be connected to yeah. the club. What's your view on a situation like that? Well, the Canio, I remember the goal against Aberdeen. I remember the goal in his debut, and he ran into the, 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 the goal to get the ball out and, and was rushing back. I remember the beautiful football that, that, that he played. My father loved the Canio. He loved Cadet. He loved Van Hoydonk. And he loved players that played the beautiful game and, and played it for, and played the Celtic way. And without a doubt, the Canio played the Celtic way. It was absolutely fantastic to watch. Now, a peculiar thing about my father was my father loved Real Madrid because he liked De Stefano and Puskas. He liked that particular team of the early 60s. He was drawn to them. Of course, that was Franco's team, Real Madrid. And in later years, people would say to me, oh, Barcelona, you must Barcelona if you have a team. I said, I quite like Real Madrid because you know, I just remember that from my dad liking them. So it's difficult because with Celtic, my, my, my father couldn't separate his political interest from his Celtic state of mind. But when it came to players, what made players good was a scoring against Rangers was extremely important. Even if you were a goalkeeper, you were still expected to score against Rangers and playing beautiful football. My father really admired those. I mean, he, he was always he always liked Berkovic because Berkovic scored two against Rangers, even though we could beat. So that those are the things that mattered. So my father loved the three amigos, and I remember those days because things didn't go great in other other ways. But that when 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 the Canio left, remember people were saying. I think Vim Janssen was going to come and build a team around him. That was really what you wanted. 
to happen. You wanted the Canu to be the centre of things, and, ha- and and that would be how Celtic would would, would play, and that be what would save us. So that's that's my view. The politics are obviously, you know, reprehensible, and 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 the racism and, and, and fascism and so on. But I'm going to talk about the Canu as a player. What an amazing player, not just for Celtic, but a footballer, a really astonishing world-class footballer. And we had him, you know, for a very short time. And uh, I'm really glad I got to see, see him. I remember people singing D.I. Canu. I remember people that wanted to have the Canu's kids and so on. And it was, it, was a, it was a sensation. It was a star. And we've had a lot of fantastic teams at Celtic, a lot of fantastic players and players with a real talent but not necessarily pe- charisma or personality or any, anything else. Now, when it comes to politics, I've defriended a few people over certain things and, and I have my own a, a, a political beliefs. I believe in a united Ireland. I believe in an independent Scotland. I'm anti-fascist, internationalist. A, a, I'm not a supporter of, of, of Brexit or Lexit or any of its guises because I'm, I'm pro-European and, and, as I say, I'm, a, I'm an internationalist. Individually, footballers, you don't go to footballers for the the Communist Manifesto or for Mein Kampf or, 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 or anything. I don't look to footballers to educate me politically. And so that this might seem like a false separation to be able to make, but the canoe of the player, as I saw him, as I watched him, I remember getting into the brazen head and the gorbals, and they had that most amazing photograph above the, the, the bar, and, and well, I've not been in for a while, I don't know if that's there, of the three amigos... And and that was just so it was it was a, a season when we were lucky and we had these amazing players playing. Everything else wasn't fitting together, but when you had that, what entertainment that was in a, in a, in, a, in a very brief period, otherwise in our history. Kev, when you watch that back, you think to yourself, a Celtic state of mind. We're covering uh, fascism, Pillo de Canio, the brazen heads. Uh, D.I. Canio Professor Willie Maley knows a thing or two about fascism, uh, obviously with his dad's um, history and his, his old man was the subject of a song that was written by the Wakes as well and I just found that interview fascinating with Professor Willie Maley because if anyone's going to have a view on the Canio it's going to be him, isn't it? De- definitely, I think the, my takeaway for that, listening back to it again is uh, like <laughs> basically did he our sound, our sound quality's got better since then I, I definitely I was, I was definitely got better since then um, no as he never looked to football players to be role models eh? I think that was his I think that was his whole I think that was what I took away from that he should never look to footballers to to set a political or moral compass whatsoever eh? and I mean it's, it's you're finding it more and more that you've got to set you've got to separate art from artists now, mm. don't you? Because mm. of certain political views, and everybody everybody's everybody has a right to have those views. Um, I mean, there is a free speech thing there, eh? but we can't argue that the Canyon was a fantastic footballer, and we can't argue that he was a nice person as well. Having spoke to the, the, the Burns family. And they haven't got a bad word to say about Paolo Di Canio. But it's interesting to hear Bully Maley actually says, and maybe we should all take head of that, eh? That that, that we... I didn't look to footballers to be your moral compass. Certainly no political manifestos, that's for sure. I found it interesting that, that Willie Maley used the term a Celtic state of mind, as if it had uh, entered common parlance, which I, I was pretty proud of, actually. Um, but yeah, I look back on that and I think how far we've come, because, I mean, the quality of that video was all right, but when you start comparing it to the, the likes of the Alan Thompson one that we've done, or the, even the Paul Lambert one that we've done recently, um, we've definitely come a long way since then, Kev. The next uh, video I want to bring up is, is very much uh, a relevant one, because it was when I interviewed Neil Lennon. But before I do that, last word on Decanio, a great entertainer, a great individual player, Kev, but he didn't play in a successful Celtic team. And I think that what Ange Postacoglu is going for isn't that individual rogue talent. He's looking for the, the full collective, isn't he? He has. Uh, I mean, we've spoke about Tommy Burns' side. Well, 
possibly nearly on every episode in the last five years we've mentioned Tommy Burns' side and his side is more fondly remembered than some successful sides because of yeah. the way that we played football mm-hmm. and Postacoglu's trying to balance that ain't he? Uh, he, he, is, he is trying to actually um, he's trying to balance that he wants to be entertaining and successful and that that's why I think I bought into him quite early on. I, I think Celtic need to play in a certain style. I, I really do. Um, I think it's more enjoyable when we play in a certain style. Um, folk can argue about Martin O'Neill didn't have that certain style, but he just had a fantastic... Um, he had Henry Larson. He had, he had guys who had skill, verve, and who were born to play for Celtic. Um, and I think Ange Postacoglu's trying to actually do the, the entertainment mate as well. I I think Celtic need to play a certain way. I was brought up with getting told Celtic played the way of the Lisbon Lions. And that's how I always want my team to play. I look at the centenary season. We played a certain way in the centenary season. We did. And and that that's that's the way for me Celtic need to play. And that that I didn't like it changing. I, I, I like I like to like take all comers on head on. Kev, um, you know this right uh, Absolutely, Cavalier. But Billy McNeil used to speak about that Cavalier approach. Um, I've got eight clips. There's no way we're going to get through them because that's about 15 minutes in and we've only watched one. But I love the chat from our um, supporters. I mean, that's what that's what you guys are in the chat. Um, in comes Paul McLean. Watch this. How many pseudo-intellectuals does it take to change a light bulb? Right? And then very closely... Gary Melrose, a few less than it takes to properly spell light bulb. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Paul, but I couldn't resist that. That was just very quick by Gary. And uh, keep the chat coming because we've got a few other uh, belters, I think Jerry Cinnamon would call them, coming your way. Neil Lennon, interview, uh, Glasgow Royal Concert Hall, 1500 sellout, Kev. I was the host. Talk us through that wee journey you and I took through to the, the, the concert hall, if you'll remember it. I do remember it because you came to pick me up and he actually says, can you drive my car? Because I need to do my notes. Because you, had, you didn't have any questions for Neil Lennon, so I, had to dri- so I had to drive your car through while you actually done research and write your questions sitting in the uh, sitting in the, the passenger seat of the car. Went all and right, I, you did, you did all right. And was that also the night that Kevin Miles didn't turn up and I had to depot the? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't that? Was that was a Jim Craig one? Sorry, it wasn't. That was a different one. But we did record it. We did record this uh, interview with Neil Lennon. It's very interesting because uh, he flew all the way back from Portugal. He was a Hibs manager at the time. Manager at the time, I. I'm going to play it. I'm just going to play it because there's a few observations that I'm that I'm going to make uh, after the event. This is Neil Lennon talking about Seville. We, we played brilliantly against Leon. We murdered Anderlecht at home. We drew with Bayern Munich. We were a goal up in Munich and ended up losing that one. And then we- Apologies, this is a technical issue because I've not saved it at the right bit, so I'm going to go back. But uh, that's what happens with live telly. Here we go. Unbelievable. One of the greatest examples recently of that was obviously in Seville. Um, the following year, in 2003, Neil, where we got to the first final in 33 years. When you went into that game, I think I remember reading that Martin O'Neill told everybody go out there and come back with no regrets. Mm-hmm. What's your memories of the lead up to that particular match? Uh, we stayed in Jerez um, it was about half an hour outside of Seville I remember training you know I'd always go out you know on an evening game I'd always go out and do something me, Stan Stan Petrov a few others just to break up the day around just stay in the hotel I remember going down to the pitch at the hotel and it was roasting you know this is like 11 o'clock in the morning and I'm saying to Steve Wolf, I'm not going to last tonight. I'm going to fucking melt. You know, it's like he says it'll be all right, Lenny. It'll be cooler later on. Um, just always remember thinking about the game, sitting in your bed, thinking about the game, thinking about Deco, thinking about you know Costinha, Derley. You know what the atmosphere is going to be like, um, and just guzzling water all day as well, just to stay hydrated, and then going to the game and. Just the feeling was intense. The best feeling was after the semi-final that Chris has touched on. Knowing you were going to the final with Celtic, that was the ultimate feeling. Going to the, the final itself was was intense, you know. And um, it's like Chris says, 
you don't remember the ones that you lose that often. The first half we didn't play as well as we could and we've gone in a goal down. And Martin got after us a little bit, not individually, just as a group saying, come on, you're better than that. You've got more in you. And second half, obviously, Henrik was playing the top of his game and it was a fantastic second half. And we, once it went to 2-2, looked like it was only, we felt we were in control then. Really, really in control. And then obviously the bubble sending off, you know, changed the dynamic of the game. And they got the goal. And it was the silver goal rule at the time, you know, where I think it was 15 minutes or something like that, you had to get a goal or the, the tie was over. It was just that gut-wrenching feeling at the end, that emptiness that you feel. Um, bitter disappointment and, you know, just feeling you've let so many people down. But before the game, you go out to warm up and again, it's like 30-odd degrees out there and you're out warming up and you can just see a sea of green and white, you know, and... I still get goosebumps now thinking about it, you know. Um, but that is the, the big regret that didn't bring that trophy back because we had a fantastic team. And I heard you talking to Chris earlier about building on what we did at Seville. I actually thought the year after, in 2004, was probably our best year. Um, Porto went on to win the Champions League that year. And we, domestically, I think we went 28 wins in a row. Wins, like, win, 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 win. It was 25 or 28. Whitewash Rangers. Chris, Chris scored a great chip. It was brilliant, but I'll just do an impression. You can see it from behind the goal, and all the Rangers fans were doing the bouncy, bouncy. The next thing, the ball goes in the net, and like that. So. Um, and then. Superb, Kev. And the reason I let that play for a wee bit is because it showed you the uh, relationship that night, the chemistry, uh, the mm-hmm. dynamic between Neil Lennon and the Celtic support. Because that place was mobbed that night. It was 1,500 strong. Uh, I've said this before, the reason I don't get nervous when I'm on a stage that big with so many people is because I'm blind and I can't see beyond 10 rows. Um, but at the very end of the night when the lights came on, I couldn't believe the size of the place. But... Um, yeah, it's it's refreshing actually to remind ourselves, Kev, just that that relationship that we had at that time. I'm saying we as a collective, as a Celtic fan base, because we know what happened last season. That was four years ago. That interview, Kev. What what did uh, what memories did that bring back? Listening back to that, it's it's interesting uh, to hear it back to hear him talking about Seville, and and it's quite. Um, obviously, he looks back on Seville. He's got a regret that they didn't win the game. And, but we, I was recently at a night with Martin O'Neill and Martin O'Neill was quite saying he didn't look back on Seville fondly because they had actually lost the game mm. whereas Neil Lennon there sort of describes more as a, as a fan because like we, we enjoyed that journey to Seville and even though we lost the final it's still part of that whole journey getting there to that European final. Whereas Martin O'Neill at that night at Celtic Park, the Bolly Mailey night at Celtic Park, was quite gone. I didn't think about it, we lost. Mm. And he was quite blank over it, eh? Whereas us as supporters have a look at it very, very differently. And listen back there and hear Neil Lennon talk like he's talking like a fan. Mm-hmm. He, he's talking like a supporter of the football club about getting that club to a European final and the, the whole occasion of that European final. Yes, he's got the professional regret, but he's got that fan like memory of it. He's not he's no talking like for me in that but that but there he's no talking like a professional footballer. No, I, I get that. And remember the conversation we had with Neil and his uh, agent Martin after the event. And we were talking about coming back to Celtic. And he was too professional to mention it on the stage, but at the time he was a Hibs manager. <clears throat> but uh, they, they left us under, and no doubt, rather, that uh, Neil Lennon would be back as a manager someday at Celtic Football Club, Kev. And that, that's something that I often think back to. I remember you saying that to me when we were playing you decided that you were driving him and I had to sit in the passenger seat. I was the, I was the, I was the allowed to drive home. Uh, I you weren't insured. <laughs> um, didn't have a driving license. Uh, never tell you that. But uh, uh, I, you, I remember you saying that to me, and I couldn't. I, and I kind of dismissed it. Reason being, I thought the club had moved on. Mm. And I, and 
and I've said that over the last couple of years as well. I, I couldn't actually, I couldn't actually see it because I thought the club had moved on. Uh, but uh, what I will say is Lenny will get a reception like that eventually again. Joe Hamlin, the reason I bring it up, Lenny sacrificed himself for our club. In my books, he's a legend. He took the full brunt for things not within his power. I think he took a massive part of that last season, Kev. There's no doubt about it. I'm talking about last season as in Lenny's last season rather than last season as in the one we've just won the league. It doesn't feel like the new season yet. Maybe once we sign Jota and Cameron Carter-Vickers, it will. Um, but I guess that is my question. When, when is this going to happen though, Kev? Because you know, next year I'm expecting there to be a 20th get-together from all the Seville boys. I mean, you've just said there, I didn't realise, I, I wasn't there that night. Um, Martin O'Neill, I wasn't there for for uh, a number of reasons, but uh, obviously a lot of people might have known that uh, you know a director of a, a state of mind lost their, their daughter um, just leading into that week in horrific circumstances over in Canada. Uh, it was a, a road collision and it was uh, worldwide news because they fled the scene at the time. Uh, so we couldn't make it, but um, I'm pretty sure there will be get-togethers, Kev, who, you know, where O'Neill will be there and Neil Lennon's got to be part of that. And that's only next year. I, I think I think as well, you've already seen the, the, the response from the Celtic fans when they won the Cypriot Cup as well. I do think that it's, especially the older generation of Celtic fans, we understand uh, we understand what Neil Lennon's given to the Celtic cause over the years. We do understand that he has got a Celtic state of mind. Look, whether, the, 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 the way that you'll actually look at it, he, he is a treble winning manager. He is. He won, he won his own treble and player. Mm-hmm. Um and if the 20th anniversary things go ahead next year, Neil Lennon will get a decent reception. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in no doubt about that whatsoever. Absolutely no doubt. Uh, the Celtic support are quite a forgiven bunch. I think there's only ever one guy that I know that will never be forgiven within the Celtic support. And we didn't need to mention his name. He who shall not be named. Um, you might be wondering why... Our good friend JP Mason is not on the show today. It's normally myself and JP. JP is otherwise engaged, but he asked me to remind everyone that his pal Michael Taggart um, is taking part in a a very good cause, a charity Celtic FC Foundation and Mary's Meal uh, cause, which is happening uh, today in actual fact, where he is uh, travelling, three-day trek. What we've done um, is we have put the link underneath the video. So if you wish to give anything at all to Michael Taggart, then please do so. There's a just given link just underneath. It absolutely doesn't surprise me that Celtic fans all year round are raising cash for those in need. And obviously that's a good pal of JP. So if you're able to throw a couple of quid his way, please do so. We are going to bring up the St Mary's video at some point uh, during the show. But here's one for you, right? You might not have watched this if you're a... Um, a convert to Axel over the last couple of years. Um, but one of my favourite interviews, and I just, I'm going to double check that I've got it on the right bit because I didn't the last time. Yes, one of my favourite interviews was when I spoke to John Barnes, Kev. You remember that? Aye, what an interview that was, man. <laughs> and it was a really strange one because I can't remember the reason why, but we had planned to interview John Barnes for a long time because I think I looked at all the managers that we've had since I was born and um, those who were still with us, I would love to interview every single one of them. Um, and, you know, that that was my whole kind of thought process behind it. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to interview John Barnes. So at some point, you and I got a number from our pals at the Anfield Rap, I, th- I think it was. And um, mm-hmm. it was in my phone. And then I seen something happening on Twitter. And he was basically falling out with all comers. And it was all about, um, you know, racism. And I thought to myself we need to speak to John Barnes about this. And it was about uh, unconscious bias as well. So I decided there and then to to drop Barnsy a wee text. Um, That's tongue-in-cheek, by the way, for anyone who thinks that I'm pretending I'm his mate. Um, I dropped him a wee text and says, do you fancy coming on and having a wee chat about this? Because it's obviously captured um, a lot of people's imaginations. And he agreed. And uh, this is over Zoom. 
So I don't know in terms of the sound if there's going to be a drop in quality. This is me talking to John Barnes, former Celtic manager, about uh, anti-Irish racism. No, you're right. We do. We do, John. What I'm trying to make the point of is, as a Celtic fan base, being predominantly Irish or of Irish heritage, we've suffered at the hands of racism in Scotland. And, and Working class people suffer. Exactly. Working classes suffer. Mm-hmm. And it's not racism. Because the Irish aren't a different race to the Scottish, to the English, to the French. That's not racism. Hibernophobia. I understand. And I totally understand that. Well, yeah. that's not racism. So you have sectarianism. You have discrimination of all forms. But discrimination based on, on, on colour is different. So discrimination based on what we consider to be race is different. Because before 400 years ago, race as we know it didn't exist. You could have a black king. The race would be, if you're a Roman, you could be black, you could be white, you could be Chinese, and be a Roman citizen because you buy into the ideological and political identity of a particular region, you're the same race. And that's the way it should be. It shouldn't matter what about colour. But then when all of a sudden, 400 years ago, when in the Enlightenment period, the Enlightenment period, when it became man's individual rights, how can you enslave a man who looks like you? That is when serfdom was addressed. That is where slavery, because you had slavery in Scotland, in England, everywhere, before you had transatlantic slavery, that was addressed because the right-minded people, from a religious point of view, or from a, a political point of view, said it's wrong to enslave people. So then something had to be done for you to enslave somebody else, which was nothing to do with racism. Slavery was nothing to do with racism, it to do with economics. Getting somebody to, to, to work for you for free and not pay them. Now, you can do that with white people because other well-meaning white people in the Enlightenment period, when a man's individual rights came to being, was saying you cannot do that to another person. So then, if you could get somebody who aren't people because they look different, black, you can then say the Bible says, the Hermetic prophecy, these people are different. You can have the greatest minds, geneticists, anthropologists, scientists, saying that genetically these people are inferior to us. They're morally and intellectually inferior. From an intellectual point of view, on a scientific point of view, you can peddle that for 300 years so that eventually someone like Winston Churchill can believe, can believe in eugenics, and we all do, without even knowing it or think that we believe in racial hierarchy unconsciously to then when all of a sudden something happens, we we think automatically you're inferior, you're superior. And we don't know why we feel that way. This is not what it was before, but this is what it is now. And you ask yourself, why do you feel that way? And we don't know because this is how subliminal conditioning is work for four. So that was John Barnes, Kev, um, and we're getting uh, everything covered, Julie, all bases covered on the Axon Bulletin today. John Barnes, uh, we interviewed, uh, first half was about uh, exactly what I've just played, and the second half was about his managerial career at Celtic. Um, looking back on that, it was it was a, a very um, interesting interview, and uh, he's, he's, he's a highly intelligent guy, of course he is. Um, it was a difficult interview. I've interviewed a lot of people over the years, Kev. Very difficult because he's uh, his approach. But at the end of it, you know, we were chatting away and he agreed to come back on Axom a few years later and he spoke to Natasha. So um, when we didn't get round to speaking about Stephen Bond, unfortunately, uh, when you think back to John Barnes' time and that particular interview uh, where he's talking about his lack of control as a manager at Celtic and the fact that, um, you know, signings were being made and he had nothing to do with them, etc., did you think, you know, history has been revised a wee bit? He should have been stronger? Or did you think it was a match that was never, ever going to work with him and Dalglish at the helm? The I dream team, the Celtic view called it, eh? The dream team. I mean, uh, see, see, like, that that interview, as you say, the first half hour of that interview was a tough, tough listen. And you done very well in that interview to actually keep your cool at certain times when... He, when you say you say that he's intelligent. I he is an intelligent guy, but I mean the the bit about the anti-Irish racism there, that no being racism has come for me. Or... The share it with a friend deal, even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with Bogo breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. 
Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Completely against that. Um, as AJSC actually says, he's dancing on the head of a pin there. He's got, got that completely wrong. Um, I mean, you just you just have to have a look at it, this country just now. I mean, I'm, I'm Scottish, I'm Scottish born and raised. Uh, my great great grandfather was for Donegal, but I get called a Fenian B almost every week. So, what is that? My daughter gets called a Fenian at school. So what is that? What is that, John? You need to explain that to me, John Barnes. Eh? But the second, the second, the second half, of, the second half of that interview was absolutely phenomenal. It lifted a lid on an awful lot of stuff that happened at the club at that time. Um, does he does he deserve the does he deserve uh, to be revised? Probably no. He probably wasn't a strong enough character to handle that dressing room. That dressing room was lawless at that point, and yeah. it took Martin O'Neill to come in and sort out that dressing room. There was a lot of strong characters, um, and in that dressing room, and John Barnes just couldn't help handle it. I, do, I don't think um, I don't think Dougleish helped him out at any point either. But I would recommend anybody go back and listen to the second part of that interview because it's it lifted a lid on a lot what happened round about that time. Mm. You're talking there about not being strong enough to, to manage the dressing room. One of the things he tried to do was get rid of Craig Burley because they clashed and Burley you know, kind of separated the players from the manager. Um, but you just got to look at the Inverness Cali Thistle game at half-time, Kev, where mm-hmm. a player refuses to go on for the second half, Barnes stands in the corner and lets Eric Black deal with it. And you think, well, who's the gaffer here? You know, you've got to take charge of that situation. Um, that player should have been on the park for the second half uh, with a rocket. Absolutely. But yeah, it was a very interesting one. Um, what was his legacy? Was it Stan Petrov? I mean, on the one hand, he's talking about not having a great deal to do with the transfers. Petrov came through and came to, to Celtic Welsh. Barnes was the manager or head coach. Um, so I, I don't even know if you can give him credit for that. His legacy probably is, in my eyes, Dermot Desmond taking over the club. Because Dermot Desmond then overruled everybody on the board and brought in Martin O'Neill. Mm-hmm. He didn't want Alan McDonald at that time to actually make another appointment. So that's when much so at that point. And I think Dermot Desmond admitted that a couple of weeks, months ago in that interview, that yeah. him and a couple of others basically had a had a coup at Celtic and basically took over the boardroom at that time. So that's John Barnes's legacy. No, you're right. And um, when you think also about uh, Fergus McCann's parting words to Alan McDonald, it was, do not hire Kenny Dalgleish. That was his parting words to Alan McDonald, but Alan McDonald was absolutely intoxicated with the idea of bringing King Kenny back to Celtic Park. And King Kenny said at the time, I'll come back, but I'm not going to be the manager. And, and, and you know, they bowed to that, Kev. So they allowed an untested uh, coach and John Barnes to take that role on Kenny's say-so. And I think that when it started going wrong, he wasn't there. They, you know, that was at the time as well. Kev, where there was a bit of an uprising, you know, Celtic players for the first time since 1965 started uh, refusing to speak to the Celtic view. It was, you know, there was a bit of an uprising. Uh, Dalgleish wanted to try and re-engage with the fan base by doing a press conference down at the Baird's Bar. Remember with Vida Ruseth, mm-hmm. um, and he got all the he got all the uh, the press guys in in the boozer uh, to do to do a press conference. But it, when I look back, it was a, it was pretty shambolic at Celtic at that time. It was, even if you go back and listen to that interview, even the way that John Barnes was appointed, even the way Kenny Dalglish approached John Barnes to appoint him for that job was, was utterly amateurish. It was amateur hour. And looking back on it, it is cringeworthy seeing them doing uh, press conferences in the Celtic Supporters Club on the, on the London Road and also on Baird's Bar. It is very, very cringeworthy. And even though I think I loved it at the time, I, I, I did love it at the time, but when you, when you look back on it, but I was young and stupid then. No, I'm just old and stupid. Yeah, so. well, your words, Kev, your words. Uh, 
we actually moved into the um, the realms of creating videos, uh, video features, and Mike Galloway was one of the first sit-down interviews uh, that we did with the new team. Um, I'm really fond, fond of Mike. I know that, uh, obviously, he's had his troubles, um, without a doubt. Most people are aware of his troubles as well, Kev. But uh, I think when I spoke to him, he was in a good place. He was sober. He still is sober, I'm, I'm pleased to announce. Um, since we've met, he's been in for a, a heart operation as well. But Mikey is doing just fine and dandy. Uh, but there's a wee clip from that interview that I want to play, and it's uh, talking about the late, great Tommy Burns. Here we go. Aye, mate. No, it wasn't. That was great. Tommy was amazing. I've got, I've got so much time for Tommy, to be honest, because when I had my car accident, Tommy and Billy Stark and somebody else were the first persons down at the hospital in Leicester, beside my bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a story that Tommy touched. I'm still in a coma. Tommy touched my leg. He says, "Come on, Sykes, you'll be all right." And apparently, I moved my leg. Um. He was amazing, amazing, amazing. I mean, I spoke to him in great deal about moving from Celtic to Leicester because I was having problems at home and different things. I was going through a divorce and I felt a break would be good for me. Tommy was 100% by him. Mm-hmm. He says, right, we'll see what comes along. I went in a couple of days, Leicester, Matt McGee got in touch and I went down there alone. Um, but uh, if I was great player, great person, Amazing religious man, lovely family. Exactly like Paul McStain, a different different person. Yeah. Now, what I love about that is um, you've got Mikey Galloway sitting there and uh, he doesn't do many interviews, uh, Mike, but he was very open, Kev, and I think that uh, it's easy to forget sometimes, not for him, obviously, just how his Celtic career and his football career ended. So he's done at Leicester City on loan, um, they've just offered him a, a four-year deal, Kev, which basically would have been his, his last deal as a footballer because he was 30, moving on to 31. Um, and he's coming up the road to visit family and he's involved in a, head, a head-on collision, which uh, he almost lost both his legs. He was in a coma for six weeks. And the story he told there, um, they used to call him Sykes after Psycho. Um, when he was at Celtic, so Tommy Burns called him Sykes, and Burns placed his hand on his leg and says, come on Sykes, and apparently that was the first time there was any movement and any reaction uh, was when Tommy Burns was there, and you know, when Mike told me that story, it was just like shivers down the spine kind of moment, uh, that special man, Tommy Burns, uh, but you know, when when we went down and seen him, as I say, he was in great spirits, was, was uh, Mike, and I don't know if I've shared this, but as we were leaving his house, he went inside, he was there with his missus, he went inside, he brought out a, a Scot- the, his Scotland jersey that he wore for Scotland against Romania in the 1992 qualifier for the for the Euros. Long-sleeved Scotland jersey with number eight on the back and he gave it to me. Uh, he says, take that up to the studio, I know you'll look after it. So, aye, great experience. What's your memories of Mikey Galloway and, and what's your memories and your thoughts having watched that wee snippet of that interview? I've actually got fond memories of Mike Galloway in a Celtic jersey. There, there was a season and a half when he was a, he was a great player for us, even even though the team were fl- were floundering at that point. But it was that time where you wanted honest professionals to become heroes, eh? and Mikey seemed to actually fit that box truthfully. He always gave his all. He was he was always there. He was never the most sulky player. But when you when you look at his career. It was a, a massive upward tra- trajectory for him, and he just got there through sheer hard work, determination, and actually being honest. Um, I was pleased when we signed him for Hearts. Um, Mike Galloway, he, he turned up once to the Bannockburn Celtic Supporters Club dance once, and he was still there the following day, in the pub the following day. And uh, if I remember correctly, I he was. Laugh. If I remember correctly, well, you wouldn't get any. I mean, there's no way that you would get a Jota, for example, turning up to a, a, a Celtic supporters club dance and still being there the following day. But he turns up for a game of fives <laughs> in Cyprus with a Celtic you know top I mean? on. Eh? <laughs> uh, aye, and I remember him. He, he was through the front uh, a pub called the New Market, eh? and he and he was sh- and he was showing this lassie his Celtic tattoo. 
that he had, had his shirt off showing this last a Celtic tattoo. That's just the 90s, though, eh? That's just fun. That's a completely different time for football players, eh? That used to be quite a common... Uh, that used to be quite a common occurrence that the players used to still be there the day after and that. Eh? Mikey was just an honest pro at a time where we were looking for honest pros. And the thing is, that, that moment you spoke about, I say a moment, that, that period of time where he actually got cut capped for Scotland in the Euros, uh, the qualifiers, that was under Liam Brady. He was playing central midfield, Kev, and he was outstanding. Best, it was. That was his best spell as a Celtic player. He was brilliant. It, it was, and yeah, I, overall, he's never going to go down in the annuals of Celtic history as a Celtic great or a Celtic legend. But for a period of time, it, it, you were glad to see Mike Galloway on the team sheet. And whether that says about the wider picture, you can make up your own mind. But I, I enjoyed Galloway when he had that when he had that purple spell for about eighteen months. He, yeah. he was fantastic for us. And I, it was a bad time, and I, the team was in an awful mess. But Mikey loved the dream. He loved what what we all want today, still want today at our ages, and he done it, and he done it well for a period. So fair play to him. Fair play to him, and we wish him all the best. But you've, you've brought me uh, a memory, uh, just this week in actual fact, uh, we interviewed Richard Jobson, uh, a famous name around Dunfermline and further afield, lead singer of the Skids, of course. Um, a guy who, he, he's a poet, he's a spoken word um, performer, he's an artist, Kev, he's a director, he's a writer, he's a front man, he's a St Pauli fan, he's a Celtic fan, and he's just an all-round you know, very interesting and decent human being. But when I met up with him in Dunfermline to go down to do the interview, was with his brother John. I don't know if you remember the interview we did with John Jobson that was yes. on this channel. We'll need to revisit that as well because it was hilarious. Um, and John's sitting there. Uh, he was John Peel's favourite footballer. He played centre-forward for Meadowbank Thistle, Kev, and used to score 40-plus goals a season on a regular. And, um, you know, I was just saying, I was getting my hair cut because their other brother has the barbers in Dunfermline. <laughs> <laughs> I says I'm getting my hair cut there's a great picture of you up in the wall with George Best because Meadowbank Thistle played Hibs and it was at Tynecastle and Hibs beat them one nothing. and I was like how was he that night he says I was rotten he was absolutely <laughs> rotten never kept... he set the goal up but he never done much else and you're just going back to a different era of footballers I mean I'm sitting there in a cafe in Dunfermline talking to John Jobson about George Best and it was just like water off a duck's back, you know, it was brilliant. Absolutely no ego, which uh, I loved. Now, I'm, I'm going to apologise in advance, maybe I shouldn't, because it is worthwhile. Uh, one of my favourite interviews of all time I've ever done on a Celtic state of mind was with uh, Professor Phil Scraton, uh, who, if you want to read anything on Hillsborough, then read his book, The Truth. Unbelievable book, an incredible book. He set up the Hillsborough Independent Research Project, which led to um, the reopening and, and um, the public inquiry into Hillsborough and everything that's happened since then. The guy, uh, he wouldn't take, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't, take, he wouldn't be knighted. He's probably been offered it, he wouldn't take it. Um, but the interview was unbelievable, Kev. And um, the the snippet that I've got of Professor Phil Scraton is, is quite a long one, but I think it's important. I feel that it's important to play it in its entirety. Um, so I'm going to play that in a wee second. And um, I'm going to ask a few questions in relation to our relationship with uh, Liverpool following this this clip as well. So let me just bring it up first of all, make sure it's nice and loud. And um, as I say, it's a, it's a kind of longer clip, but it is necessary. So I'm going to play that now. It's called. Some of the things you mentioned there, it's corruption to the, the worst degree, Phil. I mean, the, the headlines that were run by the Sun newspaper, I think it was that the Liverpool fans picked the pockets of the dead. I mean, that, yeah. that, kind, of, that kind of line has, has never left the consciousness of not only Liverpool, people of Liverpool, but anyone with a, a working class background, anyone who opposes this type of corruption for the betterment of the authoritative figure. Now, yeah. when, when I'm looking at how this is escalating in the background, would I be right to say that the lie started with David Duckenfield? He, that's where the, the lie began, when he stated that the Liverpool fans had forced open that, that exit gate. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, that, because he's caught in the headlights. You know, here's a man who's never, ever had responsibility for policing a major football match in a major stadium. And he's on duty. And he's only been at Hillsborough 
to observe two previous football matches, both ordinary matches with uh, one of them in midweek game with very small attendances. He took over because there was uh, an allegation of corruption in the force and Bernard Moe, who had been his predecessor, had been moved sideways. And Moe said he would come back just to police the semi-final. And the uh, chief constable, Peter Wright, who incidentally was from Liverpool, he turned him down. So Duckenfield was in charge. On the day, he turns up, he briefs his, his men and women at about 11 to 12 in the morning. And then he disappears. Mm-hmm. He disappears. And to this day, and all of the documents I have on Hillsborough, I've never been able to trace it. The uh, court case against him, the, um, the inquests, none of it were able to reveal precisely where he was for the two hours between 12 noon and 2 o'clock. So he disappears. He leaves um, the Bernard Murray, his assistant, who's very experienced, he leaves him in charge of the control box and goes. When he comes back, it's two o'clock and it all happens. Mm -hmm. And it all happens so fast. He's asked to open the gates. He doesn't even understand. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The fact that there are central gates. He hasn't got that in his consciousness. He doesn't know the ground. And because he's asked by the senior officer outside the ground to desperately to open the exit gates. He opens the exit gates without securing the tunnel. So the tunnel is a one in six illegal gradient down into the backs of the two pens, which are already full. When people come through the gates, all they see is the word standing above the tunnel until they go straight down it into the backs of those pens. He's up in the control box, and it's absolutely self-evident. I've stood in that control box myself. It's self-evident from the distance I could kick a ball. It's self-evident that those two pens are completely packed tight, whereas the side pens, people are sitting in the sun reading the newspaper. They're sitting down in a sunny day on the steps reading a newspaper, and yet the central pens are already fallen down that tunnel that one in six gradient tunnel, 2,000 fans walk into the back of the two pens already full. When they turn, to, they can't go sideways, they can't go forward. So when they turn to try and go back, there are more coming down the tunnel. He is completely by this point out of his depth. And what he does is he lies. He lies. There's no question. Um, it's there in black and white. He says to the head of the FA and his assistant, he says to them, the Liverpool fans have forced the gate and they've come down the tunnel into the back of France. They've rushed the tunnel. Graham Kelly, who is the recipient of this news and who heads the FA, he then feeds this information immediately. Within two hours, Jacques Georges, who's president of FIFA, is talking about Liverpool fans as animals charging into the stadium. So it's now gone around the world. Later that evening, when the truth becomes clear to the chief constable, the chief constable instructs the media that Duckenfield made a mistake. But the lie then is told. The lie consolidates the atmosphere that is created of that lie that somehow Liverpool fans forced it. 
Kev, what a powerful interview that was uh, with Professor Phil Screton. I would um, urge anybody to go and read his book, The Truth. Unbelievable. Hillsborough, The Truth. Um, thinking back, an hour and a half, uh, that man is unbelievable, isn't he? He's a saint. He has. I mean, the, the amount of hours and time that he's that he's put in over decades um, to try and get uh, to try and get the truth for those families in the ninety seven that that were, that were lost at Hillsborough. Uh, the amount of hours that everybody concerned with that campaign is put in. But that, I, I remember listening to that podcast. I mean, you done it over Zoom. That was just at the start of lockdown. That would have been it. That mm. would have been round about the start of lockdown, eh? Yeah. And I remember yeah. listening to that, and it, and it's just like, it's it's phenomenal um, how much corruption actually went on at that side at, at that time, and probably is still happening today. What what he, what what he's actually talking about there? Corruption and lies at government, police, and and. And at high levels of society has still gone on mm-hmm. and, and it's still there. Nothing's changed in the 30 odd year uh, since the justice for the, the Holzburg campaign actually started. Then football fans are still treated like second class citizens. It doesn't matter where, where, where you go. Uh, every Celtic fan. Every Celtic fan will have stories of things that have been reported in the papers and you go, well, I was there, that never happened. But what's reported becomes the truth because somebody wants their truth out there mm-hmm. and they don't want it questioned. And you've seen it in the last couple of weeks at the European Cup final as well. UEFA were quick to blame the Liverpool fans again and that's been absolutely taken apart where a number of like independent journalists that were actually there that day. I mean, no, that's not what that's 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 not what actually happened. And every football fan, not just Liverpool fans, not just Celtic fans, every football fan will have a story. The main one for me, no remember the Dundee riot. No, mm, no, 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 no remember the it was the front page of the Sun, the Dundee riot. Well, I was in, I was in Dens Park that night. There was no riot. There was absolutely no right whatsoever. But that still gets to talk about, like, as if it actually happened. Well, no, it didn't actually happen. There wasn't a, there, 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 there wasn't a riot. And, but that's, every football fan's got a story like that where the authorities have blamed the fans and it's been their poor organisation, eh, poor stewarding, et cetera. Eh? No, absolutely. And uh, again, Anybody who's watching, go back and listen to uh, Professor Phil Scraton, who, by the way, is a Liverpool and Celtic fan. And he spoke about his um, introduction to Celtic being the 1966 European Cup Winners' Cup semi-final uh, down at uh, Anfield as well. So give that a listen. You will not regret it. Um, I want to leave everybody with uh, one final wee video clip before Kevin and I wrap up. And this is um, more to do with uh, what everybody has done uh, with Axom and as part of Axom in relation to the uh, the charity endeavours, Kev, every single year that we now um, commit uh, an entire weekend and obviously the weeks leading up to that to ensuring that some charities benefit from the fact that Celtic fans can come together and in the last two years uh, 55 grand has been raised for a number of charities. Last year twin- just under £29,000 was raised for um, St Mary's in the Catlin, which as you know is the birthplace of Celtic Football Club I think that it's important to play this wee clip because um, even since this video was made I've heard a lot of people going on about how um, Celtic support St Mary's. Um, I'm going to play this because that that isn't the case. I'm going to play this video uh, because um, this is us in St Mary's and this is a massive thank you to everybody who donated to our charity weekender last year. Not long after Bertie's funeral took place here that we first met, and um, it was in anticipation of your, your 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 fundraising campaign, and when I understood that St Mary's would be a beneficiary of that, I was I was delighted um, on several fronts. I think one of the motivating factors was yourself engaging with me was that you had to come to realise that St Mary's gets no 
external help or assistance and it's very much dependent on the generosity of the, the, the folk in the Calton and those who, who attend and almost two years into the pandemic um, the parish was in um, um, let's just say courting a, disa a, a, a disastrous situation um, the money raised has been truly transformative um, it, 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 it certainly is giving us a, a, a safety net um, that's mitigating against the, 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 the costs everyone is experiencing rising just now um, but it certainly helped us fund the, the fabric of this place it's taken us from to be honest debt back into the black um, which is fantastic but it also gives us scope to continue to try and do good work in the area for folk the, the poverty that existed in this area when Brother Walfrid and Celtic were founded does exist it's got a slightly different face it, it finds its face in drug abuse prostitution um, neglect isolation and there are, there are good parishioners here who associate with the parish and endeavour to do good work even the host um, it's asylum seekers who were unaccompanied whose parents have, have died and have found themselves in this country and that's work that goes on in the background discreetly um, and I'm delighted at that. I would probably also share with you personally what the outreach from Celtic State of Mind made for me. I probably was in a fairly dark place the um, only real time I'd been going out during the pandemic was to celebrate yet another funeral I think over 160 Covid funerals and 200 more funerals um, including the lost my own father and to, the, the outreach from Celtic State of Mind that came from nowhere really lifted my spirits because in Big masses like say Bertie's funeral, one two five mass, and all those things, and this church is, is a great it's a, it's a, it's a great theatre almost for these great events. But when the show moves out of town, you, you can be very much on your own, and to, to think that the, the the supporters of Celtic State of Mind um, took a pause, stopped to think, and made that outreach. Um, means a tremendous amount to me personally just on a very human level Kev, I think that says it all that's the difference that can be made when a group of people and in this instance a group of Celtic supporters get together, pull together um, and get organised and make a difference I mean that, that's astonishing listening back to that interview isn't it? It is and it's the, the priest father father fighting like uh, he seemed still seemed a bit unsure and a bit lonely there. He eh? still seemed a bit um, unsure of himself. But one one of the takeaways, the big takeaway that I, I, I take I take away for that is like what he says is that the problems that Celtic Football Club were set up for that Brother Wolford set up the club for are still alive and well today, but they just take different get uh, guises. And that's something that we should never forget, and it's something that the club should never forget. Um, and I mean, I know the Celtic Foundation are doing stuff and stuff like that today, but I found that a really, really powerful interview, and what a beneficiary for everybody that watched that sort of, um, efforts. Uh, but it was truly brilliant. It truly, truly did make a difference to that man. It definitely it did. did. You could feel it. You could feel that looking at looking at the interview back. Um, anyone who hasn't visited St Mary's, take yourself down there. I mean, you, you know the Axon Cross that you see um, as our logo. We have modelled that on the mosaic as you walk into the, the, the chapel, Kev. It's on the mm -hmm. floor. Um, and obviously, you know, you go in there and there's so much history, obviously, that's where in the, in the hall, which is no longer standing, where Celtic were founded. You, you know, pay it a visit. 
uh, speak to Canon Tom White and um, you know it's it's really for me it's one of the things that uh, going in there you can actually feel it you can you can feel the tradition you can feel the history um, also the brother Wilfred Payton's in there as well you can go and have that you know the Peter Housen Payton go and have a look at that as well but one reminder would be that yeah plans are already underway Kev for our charity weekend at the end of this particular year um, it's going to be a wee bit different so although we will be going out live for 24 hours over a particular weekend it will be pushing uh, those watching to something a wee bit different that they may get involved in I can't reveal too much at the moment we're at the planning stage but I'm pretty sure that you'll all be up for it it's ambitious Kev I'm very ambitious sure it's ambitious but you know you've got to be ambitious and we're going to give it a try um, and we're going to uh, use the Axon platform hopefully to get uh, Celtic and St Mary's uh, in the public eye, let's just say. So, uh, and raise loads of money as well for charity. Uh, so, uh, it's been very interesting today looking back on the likes of Neil Lennon, Professor Willie Mealy talking about fascism, uh, Mike Galloway, St Mary's, John Barnes and Professor Phil Scraton talking about Hillsborough, Kev. And uh, I'm pretty sure over the next 12 months and beyond, there will be f- loads more interesting characters on this show. Want to know something, Paul? See if what we've just actually said in the last hour is what you sold me a Celtic state of mind was going to be and is the reason that I'm involved. And it's weighty subjects, it's storytelling. And the four things that you've picked are the reason why I got involved. I wouldn't have got involved if it was just uh, who's going to play right back, who's going to play le- who's going to play left back, eh? stuff like the four things that we've, that we've that we've reviewed today is the reason that I'm involved with a Celtic state of mind and will continue to be involved in a Celtic state of mind. Brilliant. I love to hear that, Kevin. By the way, just as a reminder, when I first met Kevin, he was wearing a Michael Head t-shirt. Michael Head, after forty years of recording. Um, is on the cusp of being in the top 10 for the first time in his musical career, Kev. So anybody who likes uh, a bit of that type of music, go out and buy Dear Scott, download it, stream it, do all that kind of stuff. It would be phenomenal to see Mick Head. uh, And he's actually sitting at number four in the charts at the moment, Kev. And obviously we went down and met him uh, last month, which was one of the best experiences of my time um, being involved with the channel as well. I've got to thank every single person um, who has got involved over the last five years. Everybody who has got involved in the chat today, thank, thank, thank you. you all for having a Celtic State of Mind and getting involved. And thank you to Kevin Graham for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. What's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Network.